Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. Everybody, this is Russ K5TUX bringing you some more Linux in the Hamshack goodness. This is episode number 111, the big 111. And uh, just back from his travels in the United States is uh, Pete V2XPL. So, welcome back to the show, and how are things going with you, Pete? Yeah, good evening, everyone. Yeah, it's great to be back. I've uh, been gone for one month, uh, roughly, uh, four weeks. We went uh, we went to the States, uh, went to Brunswick, Maine, and we also went to the uh, East Coast uh, here in Canada, in the Maritimes, uh, New Brunswick. A little bit of a travel log uh, up and coming, because uh, some of it uh, had to do with uh, ham radio stuff, uh, which is uh, always cool when you could mix your uh, vacation with a little bit of uh, ham radio playing. And, uh, happy to be back. So uh, good evening, everyone. Good day to everybody who's listening live and uh, everyone who's joining us via podcast. Excellent. And I'm, I know we'll talk a little bit more about your travels and your travails as uh, the podcast wears on, because... I see by the etherpad, by the by the light of the etherpad, that some of your stuff is uh, like ham stuff, as you just said. But yeah, uh, you know, in the ham shack, exactly. Uh, and there may even be Linux involved as well. A little bit. A little bit. All right. Well, we should probably jump right in, and I will uh, say that the first topic actually came to me probably about a month ago, not long after you set off for the great white south of Maine. I got some information uh, via the IRC that uh, Peter, OK2CQR, the creator of CQR Log and CQR Test, is going to be creating a contest log. Or I, I sort of gave it away before I, <laughs> before I did the thing correctly. <laughs> I was thinking of YFK Log and YFK Test. But anyway, Peter is creating CQR Test, which is going to be a contest logger based uh, presumably on the same code base as CQR log, and hopefully just as good. According to the report that I heard, it was going to be along the styles of the N1MM WinTest and tr for win Windows-based loggers, but it will be Linux-based. The Git repository, I think it's a Git repository, maybe subversion, but uh, anyway, it's uh, already been set up. You can find it at cqrtest.com. And when I went to look at it, there was nothing there yet. So it's in its very early stages, but it looks like there will be something soon. And as a side note on that, I was told that I should probably contact Peter and see if we could get him on the show. And I did, and he will be on the show. Excellent. Very cool. Yes. I'm just not sure when yet. 
Okay. We will we'll probably figure that out. Yeah, it'll probably be something that we have to record offline and then insert into the live broadcast because he does live in the Czech Republic, which is seven hours ahead of us, which means we are most likely going to have to record at an unusual time. So, uh, but look for that in the near future. Yeah, very exciting. I'm not actually familiar. I've heard a lot about the CQR product line, if you will, but I'm, I haven't had a chance to uh, play with any of them, although I hear good things about it. Um, I am familiar with N1MM, and I like, generally, I like what it does, so if it's modeled again, you know, on N1MM and can use it on a Linux platform, uh, then that's wonderful, and I can't wait till he comes on and uh, we can ask him all kinds of questions. Hopefully between now and then I'll have a chance to try it out and uh, I'll actually sound like I know what I'm talking about versus usually. <laughs> I think you sound just fine. And by the way, since this will be sort of an offline interview, if any of our listeners who are listening to this right now would like to ask Peter a question, you might want to send us an email and ask those questions of Peter so we can ask them of him when we talk to him. That might uh, You might ask something that we forget to ask. If you have any questions for Peter, go ahead and send them in, and we will ask him unless you know it's, it's uh, too personal or something like that. Yeah. He might be a night owl, and we might get him on live. You never know. Uh, I kind of gather he is, because he said he could he could do it like late for us, which is early for him. He said he could be up as early as four a.m. his time, and I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to make him do that, but we'll you know we'll figure something out. Yeah, we're always we're very accommodating. So uh, let's uh, let's talk about your travels, I guess, since they since they are ham radio related, and you're going to make this interesting for everybody, I assume, right? I mean. I hope okay. you assume, and I hope so. Uh, <laughs> All right, excellent. Well, yeah, good. indeed. Yeah, we were gone for uh, quite a, quite a while. The um, and I won't uh, tell you, uh, won't give you a minute by minute uh, detailed view of every single day. We went to the beach and we did this, um, but no. Part the first part of our vacation was actually a visit to an event called LobsterCon, uh, as in Lobster Convention, LobsterCon 2013, which is hosted by the New England uh, QRP club qrp uh, for those who don't know is a low power operation and ham radio you could check them out at qrpme.com and uh, their call sign uh, for they actually have a call sign for the event which is w1l so LobsterCon has been going for some uh, 15 or 20 years and basically it started out as a small event in a campground and it's just a bunch of uh, qrp enthusiasts the new england uh, qrp club which uh, has grown by leaps and bounds in the past years from what i understand so they put on this uh, small event um, very family oriented of course uh, in a campground uh, in brunswick maine uh, which is uh, very close to freeport uh, portland and company and uh, it's called thomas point beach and campground is very very nice place i recommend it to anybody who might be in the area a family owned and operated huge place uh, very very well kept very clean and uh, it's it's uh, all very tree covered and it's uh, by the beach so uh, how could you go wrong so uh, we had uh, 80 people uh, hams and their families all uh, fabulous people by the way uh, who are camping uh, eating uh, playing radio qrping um, and uh, it was a very cool event. The uh, highlight of the event was a uh, Tuna Tin 2 build-a-thon. I don't know, a lot of people may have heard of the uh, famous uh, Doug Dema W1FB uh, Tuna Tin 2. Uh, Doug Dema was uh, one of uh, the ARRL's most uh, prolific writers, uh, wrote on... Uh, 
on uh, several uh, subjects of interest to ham radio in the uh, late 60s, early 70s. And he developed uh, this uh, small uh, transmitter that you could build in a tuna tin. Although I was told that the original uh, was actually built in a uh, pineapple tin that looks like a tuna tin if you don't know the difference. But anyhow, uh, so it's called the tuna tin 2, uh, the, the version two of the tuna tin. It's a small CW, low-power CW transmitter. Uh, so these have um, uh, been put together uh, in kit form and made very popular by uh, Rex uh, W1REX of, uh, the, of, of tuna tin 2 fame. Uh, he's put the kits together and he's uh, put them out for the New England QRP and they were so popular that uh, a lot of people uh, have them and build them now and uh, it's a very interesting kit. So uh, they there was a build-a-thon where uh, 25 hams uh, did a uh, mass uh, building and operating attempt uh, from uh, 10 to 80 meters on their tuna tin twos. So uh, that was uh, very cool as well. I know there was about 25 people building them. I'm not sure exactly how many of them actually got them on the air, but a number of them did. The uh, highlight of the event this year was the presence of W1RFI Ed Hare, uh, who is the uh, head of the ARRL Technical Lab. So he was a guest this year. And uh, he had brought, uh, which was very exciting uh, to uh, uh, ham radio enthusiasts who are into the history of ham radio, he had with him the original Tuna Tin 2, uh, now known as the uh, Ancient Sacred Relic. And uh, this is the actual Tuna Tin 2 that was built by WNFB, Doug DeMa himself, and featured on the cover of the May 1976 issue of QST magazine. So if you uh, do a Google search right now, uh, May 1976 QST, uh, under photos, look up the cover, you'll see this uh, Tuna Tin 2. Well, anyhow, this Tuna Tin 2 was at LobsterCon, was present. Uh, certain uh, privileged operators got to operate it. Um, I'm not a CW person, so I did not get to try it, but I I got to see some of the guys operating it. Uh, I did, however, get to hold it, and uh, I was very, very excited to do that, hold a piece of, uh, of uh, such uh, prolific ham radio history in, in my hands. Uh, so that was uh, very exciting for us. And uh, it was kind of neat because uh, Rex, uh, W1REX, he uh, actually did a little bit of a, he called it the mojo insertion ceremony. So all of the people who had built their tuna tin twos, uh, their new versions, uh, had a little bit of a ceremony where they would open the secret shroud that the uh, tuna tin two of the original was uh, stored in, which was actually a lobster con t-shirt. And then they would tap the... Uh, uh, the output of the original Tuna Tin 2 to the input of uh, the ham radio person who had just built this kit three times and they would do a little chant and uh, it was just kind of a, a cute little uh, mojo ceremony as they called it to get uh, the uh, good uh, karma of the original Tuna Tin into everybody's uh, kit so that was a lot of fun a lot of people enjoyed that uh, let's see aside from that well it was a lot of good food a lot of uh, good lobster of course um, not a great company and it was a lot of fun. I, uh, of course, chatted up uh, Linux and the uh, Hamshock as uh, often as I could. And I know for a fact that we did get some uh, new listeners uh, 
from that. So I uh, say hello to you guys and uh, welcome to the show. And I actually have some feedback, uh, which we'll talk about in the feedback section, which is directly related to uh, LobsterCon. So uh, it's a great event. Uh, check it out. Like I said, uh, uh, put on by the New England QRP Club. Uh, free to become a member if you guys are interested. And uh, yeah, a lot of fun. And I plan on going back next year. Uh, and I recommend uh, you guys checking it out. Uh, there was pictures online and the whole bit. I'll get the uh, links in the show notes uh, because they're not there right now, I just realized. So um, uh, that was a five-day event. Uh, after that, we headed into the Maritimes with our family. I got to play a little bit of HF while I was out there. I strung up a 132-foot uh, uh, long wire antenna. And fed actually, and I got to contact some of the people on our regular sched. Um, I was in Presque Isle, Russ, uh, during my uh, hiatus. Uh, I did not, however, manage to contact anybody from your old club because it seems that when I was there, the repeater was dead. So, uh, but I did did go to the Walmart in Presque Isle and ate at the McDonald's. So, uh, uh, that's uh, just for you. I was thinking of you as I was uh, chowing down my Big Mac there, and and I must say. Uh, for some reason, U.S. Big Macs seem to taste better than the Canadian ones. I think they're a little bit bigger, but uh, anyhow. So that's uh, basically uh, ham radio travel log uh, in a nutshell. Uh, great vacation, uh, but like I said, uh, always good to be back. Well, it's kind of a very cool thing. I didn't even know about LobsterCon when I lived there. Although you said, how long has it been going on? Twelve or thirteen years? They say a fifth, between fifteen and twenty, depending on who you talk to. Uh, 15 and 20 years. Okay. So it would have started up while I was still living there. That's interesting. I didn't really know anything about it. And if it's down in the Freeport area, that's actually a lot closer to where I grew up in Presque Isle is. So you, you probably could have just gone over to my parents' house and said hello. <laughs> they wouldn't well, have known would, who the hell you known, were, but if I would have known, I would have done that because I was uh, in just outside of Brunswick, uh, right on. It's not really on the coast, as you know. There's a whole bunch of inlets there, uh, which kind of give you the impression that you're on a lake, but you're actually uh, in the salt water with the uh, horseshoe crabs. And uh, my kids got to chase a whole bunch of horseshoe crabs, which we don't get for some reason up in in Moncton. Uh, kind of a little bit more north so uh, those are always fun and they're less scary because they don't have the big claws so the kids don't mind picking them up and yeah a lot of fun all right good deal well i'm glad to hear you had a great vacation and it sounded like you managed to squeeze in a little bit of uh, ham radio related stuff in the meantime and, and uh, new listeners always good moving on from the ve2xbl travel log for uh, uh edition number one volume number one edition number one uh, we should probably uh, talk about this uh, cool new device that's coming out. The first solar-powered Linux laptop. Uh, this is the headline, and of course, uh, it drew my attention being a techie kind of guy. Uh, I thought, hey, this is kind of a neat idea. Uh, this is put together by, I'm really not sure how they pronounce it, but it's a Canadian telecommunications company called uh, Wewi or WeWi. Uh, W-E-W-I communications. So I'm going to go WeWi. I think they'll probably prefer WeWi to something like WeWi or WeWi communications. WeWi, I'm guessing because they're wireless uh, and they're software developers. But uh, basically, uh, the summary was a new kind of laptop uh, 
which they're calling the Sol. It's being designed for the great outdoors enthusiast and it's powered by sunlight and it will be running Linux. So uh, again, uh, WeY Telecommunications, uh, www.wewi.ca if you want to check them out. Canadian uh, telecommunications company that is uh, into software development, uh, mostly for uh, governments, uh, for military applications, and for emergency and first response. Uh, so the uh, it's not out yet, but it will be uh, shortly. They don't give an exact timeline, of course. It's ru- rumored that it will list uh, in the neighborhood of four hundred dollars, uh, and it's not uh, you know the latest and greatest bomb. Uh, it's a very modest machine, uh, and and I guess that's why the advantage of running Linux uh, is you can use a little bit of a less high performance machine. It's running uh, a CPU of only uh, 1.8 gig, uh, dual core. Uh, it's an Intel machine, uh, and uh, the specs will be. I'm not going to go through all of the specs there, but uh, SATA HDD 320 gig hard drive, uh, two to four gigs of uh, SD RAM, uh, 1080p uh, HD graphics. Uh, 13.3 inch LCD display uh, include a 3 megapixel camera uh, it'll have a uh, 3G or 4G world multi-mode LTE modem and uh, online uh, GPS Wi-Fi available or sorry Wi-Fi enabled and uh, it will have a uh, Bluetooth company uh, claims that this configuration and its built-in uh, photovoltaic solar panels that are uh, rated at 16% efficiency will have a battery life of 8 to 10 hours. So I'm not sure what the specific charging time would be and, and I'm not sure if you could figure that out with the uh, 16% efficiency, efficiency specification uh, but they don't really mention that specifically. Uh, the planned operation Operating system will be a Ubuntu uh, version 12.04 for now. Of course, depending on uh, how far along they are when they do develop it, uh, they may use a, a newer uh, release, but uh, who knows. Uh, and its main uses uh, will be disaster relief, uh, emergency situations. Uh, I can see uses in uh, expeditions and things of that nature. So uh, I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, so I got that on uh, Linux today. Uh, the article was written by Stephen uh, J. Vaughn Nichols uh, for Linux and Open Source. And that's uh, dated uh, August 9th, 2013. It's kind of a slow uh, slow month in Linux news, but and again, it is summertime, so a lot of things kind of tend to shut down. But uh, I could see a lot of uses, uh, you know, uh, good as well as evil for, for this type of application. But uh, I think it's a pretty cool device, and, and I think uh, in the world that we live in with everything going greener, um, you know, uh, I can see this being a great thing. Of course, depending on, uh, you know, if you have to leave it in the sun uh, f- for a week before you could use it for eight to ten hours, uh, maybe not so great. Uh, you know, I noticed some of the comments on the uh, in the blog were mentioning, well, what happens if it's cloudy? What if you're mostly using it inside? You know, because some people just don't like to go outside. I guess maybe those people just wouldn't buy one. Uh, it does come with a uh, with an AC adapter, of course, so you're not. Uh, solely uh, reliant on the sun. You could use it uh, as a regular laptop. Uh, But I thought it was a a neat little device and I'm surprised that nobody had thought of it before, including myself. And I wish I would have when I read the the tagline. So uh, yeah, that's uh, pretty cool. Had you heard of this, Russ? Uh, And what do you think of that? I had not heard of it. And the more I read about this from uh, the couple of articles that I've seen here, it doesn't actually sound like it's powered by the sun. Uh, it's more, it seems more like a solar battery extender than 
a real, you know, powered by powered by the sun type thing. Cause clearly it has a battery pack and the batteries are what generate the power, uh, for the, for the general use. And I assume that if you leave it out in the sun, it will, and, and don't have the machine on that it will, at, you know, at some point, uh, charge up the batteries, but the articles don't say how long that will take. And they also don't really specify whether you get the benefit of whatever sunlight is coming into the machine while you're using the batteries or not. So uh, to call this a solar-powered laptop, I think, is a little facetious. I mean, you know, it's it's a battery-powered laptop with a solar charger. I think what that really speaks to is the 16% efficiency of the solar panels. Obviously, we need to have better solar panel technology before you can have a, you know, a truly solar-powered laptop. If we had, you know, 80 or 90% efficient solar panels, we'd probably be powering a hell of a lot more with them uh, than just laptops. But, you know, it's it's a good step. It's a step in the right direction for, for a greener future. I'll have to see where it goes. Yeah, indeed. No, I didn't mean to make it sound like it was solely uh, no, solar No, I'm not powered. saying you did. And I guess the name kind of does imply that. But, yeah, it, when you read the article, it's very evident that it's it's only uh, uh, another way to charge the batteries. And, and I could totally see that in situations where you're in a complete disaster situation, uh, you know, uh, sort of like the, the uh, reactor meltdown in Japan or, you know, hurricane disaster relief, things like that, where you have no infrastructure, infrastructure. Um, it, it's just a great, it would just be a great tool to have, even if it does take a while, uh, better to have some access than none. So, uh, you know, yeah, it's, it's, uh, although I can imagine like efficient solar panels, the solar panel would be the size of your car uh, and, and the laptop would be the size of your laptop, not very efficient. So I can imagine that uh, going from zero battery power to, uh, having your full capacity of eight to ten hours usage would probably be, uh, you know, a better part of a day in the sun. But uh, who knows? We'll have to wait and see. Yeah, where's where's my hand crank laptop? Don't they have one of those where you can sit there and hand crank it for you know an hour and then you get thirty two minutes of battery life out of it? They should because they do that with with the Grendigs, you know, the the old Grendig radios from World War Two and World War One. That they're actually gaining popularity again. I've seen a bunch of people who have them who are the actual Grendig brand with the. Uh, of course, it's not a dynamo like uh, it used to be in the old days. It's, a, it's dynamo slash uh, rechargeable battery powered now, but still, it's a, it's a great concept and. Yeah, it would be, if nothing else, it would be a cool experiment to, to build a laptop like that. Yeah, absolutely. It'd be a little weird, though, to whip out your laptop and, and crank it, but <laughs> uh, it might be interesting uh, when you're on the bus or something. It would, and I think that there's a market out there for it, just, uh, you know, because uh, geeks and techies uh, like that kind of, uh, you know, weirdness, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's definitely very nerdy. More stuff by Stephen J. Von Nichols, apparently. Uh, you, you got uh, horny for him this week? I got what? <laughs> um, never mind. I'll badger that. <laughs> uh, so, that to me. Uh, uh, yeah, no, the, uh, in the same uh, line of thought, uh, Stephen J. Von Nichols uh, also writes for IT World, also on August 12th wrote an article, an interesting uh, short little article called Running Linux on a Windows PC. Uh, and uh, basically it states, your getting started guide 
it used to be easy to run Linux on any PC. Uh, and uh, basically he says, uh, so you're finally considering the article starts. So you're finally considering giving Linux a try. It's about time. It's really not as scary or different as you may think. The myth that you had to be some kind of computer guru to use Linux is utterly untrue. And, and I have to agree with that. Today's top desktop Linux distributions, such as Mint, OpenSUSE, and Ubuntu, are easier to use than Windows 8. So the article uh, is really uh, aimed at the uh, newbie, you know, people who are perhaps thinking of uh, uh, using Linux but aren't sure, or if, if you're looking for uh, something to, if you're trying to convince one of your friends to get onto Linux, this is a great article to uh, send to your friend or, or, or acquaintance or whoever he or she may be uh, to get him introduced because he basically uh, does a step-by-step, -step, basically from burning an ISO to running a live uh, CD or DVD for those who aren't sure if they want to install it, which I think is a great thing. I always run live uh, DVDs before I uh, choose a uh, specific distribution. Uh, talks about uh, Wubi, you know, the uh, Windows uh, based installer. Uh, so I, I read it uh, very quickly, but uh, it was actually quite complete. It gives a whole bunch of links uh, that uh, can help you out. So uh, I thought it was pretty cool. So that's an article in IT World, uh, and it's called uh, Running Linux Windows PC, Your Getting Started Guide. And uh, we will put the link in the show notes, and I thought it was uh, worth a mention because it's just a great way to uh, introduce uh, the wonderful world of Linux to, to your friends and family. And uh, that being said, that same article led me to, uh, and this is one of the links uh, in the article, uh, to something called the live CD list. So uh, not only does he explain, uh, you know, a few of the uh, more popular distributions, you know, he mentions Mint and OpenSUSE, Ubuntu, of course, uh, and it gives you a whole bunch of links. He gives you one specific link, link uh, which is called the live CD list. It's livecdlist.com. We'll also put that in the show notes. And uh, the uh, site is created to help sort through uh, the uh, literally hundreds of live CDs that are a available to uh, anybody and uh, to help you find the right one. So it currently uh, tracks live CDs, live DVDs, and uh, live USB Linux operating systems. Uh, literally, you go to the uh, homepage, the uh, livecdlist.com will bring you right to the homepage, which is a list of hundreds of, of uh, Linux distros. Um, and it also, you know, if you click on any clink, if you click on any name of a distro, it'll uh, bring you into a sub page which tells you about the distro and it links to uh, the website's main page and the download pages, etc. Uh, it's sorted by uh, release date, so you got the most recent release at the top. And uh, I, th I thought this was a great one-stop shop uh, for anybody who's uh, looking. And I did look through it very quickly. There's so many of them. I was looking to see if there are some that I knew. And a lot of the ones that we've talked about, you know, for example, I ran into Mint, of course. Uh, AV Linux was there, uh, various uh, versions of Manjaro, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, uh, there actually were uh, distributions that I have uh, played with. So um, I thought this was a great... Uh, uh, just in its own was a great link to have, so um, I wanted to share it with y'all as well. So I, I'm not sure if you knew about this one, Russ, but I was actually quite excited when I, uh, you know, in my uh, never-ending quest to find the right distribution, uh, I thought this was a really, really cool link. No, I wasn't aware of that specific one. I usually focus on DistroWatch when I'm looking at distros for jumping around and stuff like that, but having a list of... Uh, live ISOs is actually uh, kind of cool. I didn't know that existed, and, and now I do. 
But one thing we don't really talk about that much or haven't talked about at least for some time is the ability, whether through virtual machine environments or, you know, which are available freely now as well, or uh, Wubi or other techniques for running Linux on top of Windows to get people sort of started on their way into the Linux world. And maybe we should, you know, uh, reprise our position on uh, those type of environments in an upcoming episode and let people know that there are, there are easy ways to start out if if they don't want to, you know, try and do a dual boot or, or something uh, slightly more complicated. Yeah, I think that'd be a good idea. Sometimes you kind of, you get so techy that you kind of move away, you know, through nobody's fault, of course, but move away from, from the very simplest of things. And, and it's always a good idea to come back and, 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 you know, every once in a while start from the beginning. Cause, I, you know, you're always getting new listeners who are wanting to get in. And I remember when I started getting into uh, the whole Linux uh, world, I started listening to various podcasts and, and a lot of it was going way over my head. And, and that's okay, too, because just by being immersed in, in the language of Linux or, or whatever else it may be that you're trying to listen, I encourage everyone to listen even if you don't understand because eventually all the words start to make sense and you start to put them together. Uh, but, but it is a good idea to have a, a place where you can start and, and maybe pick a distribution or, or a topic and say, okay, well, step one, step two, step three. And, uh, you know, not every every episode, of course, but every once in a while, I think that would be appreciated by our listeners. And I hope so. If, if listeners have feedback, uh, please don't be shy to uh, write in and, and tell us uh, yes, no, or, or maybe, and we'd be happy to accommodate. Yeah, definitely. Except we will not give you a walkthrough of how to install Arch. Uh, we might be able to do some something a little simpler, but if you want Arch, you're on your own. That'll be, uh, that'll be Linux uh, 201, not Linux 101. <laughs> yeah, 401, maybe. <laughs> I didn't make it that far. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure that I did either because I don't like Arch. Uh, and speaking of not liking distributions, that's probably what we're going to be touching on in most of the middle segment. Uh, we're going to talk about some specific distributions, what's good about them, what's bad about them, and my sort of philosophical topic about the, the recent malaise I'm feeling about open source free software and and that sort of thing. So you'll want to stay tuned for that. But in the meantime, we've got some music and I'm actually going to jump back to our early roots. And I've picked up a song, uh, a recent song by Gamma Leonis. And we don't feature them very often on the show. Well, if you don't count the intro, yeah, uh, we feature them every week. So that's they, true. You know, they're our most, uh, they're, they're, we sponsor them. And they sponsor us. And they sponsor us. Yeah, thank you, Gamma Leonis. Uh, that's right. So Dave has, uh, and I got to say, I don't like every song that Dave writes, but the ones that I do like, I really like. And uh, he's hit on a good one here. It's an instrumental. It's uh, called Suzanne. I assume it's off his latest album. I, he does package all of these things into albums, but I wasn't able to figure out which album, if there is one, that this song has come from or if he just has put it out there as a single. But anyway, uh, it's a great track. It's called Suzanne. Uh, it does run a little over five minutes, so uh, you got plenty of time to go get a drink or hang out for a little while, and we'll come back and we'll talk some Linux.
Yeah, I kind of forgot about the abrupt ending. And now I'm not sure who I'm connected with. I'm here. I'm here. Oh, well, everybody's here. How about that? Hooray. Yes. Welcome our roving reporter or roving, I don't know what we'll call him. But anyway, Harrison is here. You're you're very late show notes taker. Yeah, well, that's okay. As long as I get done eventually, I suppose. That was a good hey, tune, by the way. As, sorry. Oh. Gonna have to coordinate. <laughs> oh, good. We're, we're all coordinated. Yes, let's all talk at once, shall we? <laughs> One, two, three, go. Yeah. <laughs> and now we can't coordinate that either. <laughs> I haven't really. Let's let's do my little philosophical. T- oh well. First of all, let's let's go back because I heard a comment about the song. So go ahead, uh, Pete. And tell me what you think of the song. I thought the song was really cool. I have to say, right from the beginning, the second the song was going to start, I was about to whip off my headphones and run to the fridge to get a snack. Actually, the snack is actually a beer, but that's okay. Um, And I couldn't because the song was just too cool. I kept waiting for the words to start, though. You forgot to play the words because there was no words. So I kept waiting for it because it's just the kind of tune that you're waiting for some very you know, philosophical Zen kind of, kind of, kind of lyrics to come in. But, um, no, I was, it was pretty neat. I must admit, I, uh, I'm very impressed. Okay. I, I'm distinctly remember saying the song was instrumental when I introduced it, but, uh, I probably wasn't listening, <laughs> <laughs> but you at least say it was instrumental. All right. Well, at least the song attracted your attention and, and kept you fascinated. So now you're going to have to try and sneak out maybe during the next song to get your snack. I can do without. I'm good. <laughs> All right. I had a moment last week where I didn't want to use open source anymore. And what? I, yeah, I know. It was weird to me too. But I was kind of curious if anyone has ever had this happen to them. Basically what happened was I had been running LMDE, which is Linux Mint Debian edition for the uninitiated on my work workstation. And I'd been running it like that for quite some time. In fact, that workstation is five and a half years old now. And it's actually running a couple of NVIDIA video cards that are pushing nine years old, give or take. So they're old. Uh, You know, in the technology sphere, nine years old, that stuff probably should have been melted down, you know, three years ago. That's what everybody would let you think, anyhow. Right. And, you know, I don't have a problem with using legacy drivers and legacy hardware and stuff like that because I know with my Linux system it actually works. Well, the problem is that system had been going for a long time, and finally came a day last week when it decided not to work. Everything went to hell. I couldn't get my system booted up. The first thought I had was, you know what? I'm going to put Windows 7 on this machine. I'm not sure why that was my first thought, but I honestly think I came to it the same way that people like Pete, who are distro hoppers, come to their decision to change distributions. It's not that I feel any less advocacy or desire to use Linux and open source software, but I've been using them a really, really long time. It just came to me that, you know, I kind of want to try something different, and the only thing that is different anymore to me is windows because i use mac os every day i use linux every day so if i want to switch linux distributions another linux distribution ultimately is going to look very similar to the one i'm using 
because ultimately when I get it set up, I'm going to set it up in a way that is familiar to my workflow, to my muscle memory, to the way that I do things. So it doesn't matter if it's OpenSUSE or Arch or Ubuntu or Mint or, you know, SLS. Ultimately, it's going to be a, a workstation in a desktop environment that looks like something I'm familiar with. So it's going to be the same. So if I want to do something different, I have to do something really different. You know, I could, I could say, oh, I'm going to run like Haiku on this thing. But the problem is I would never get any work done because it's too beta you know, it's too far afield to have any sort of, you know, productivity benefit. So I can never use something like that. I could never, I could never use Haiku or whatever. I could switch to BSD, I suppose. But on, you know, ultimately, BSD is a Unix variant. All Unix variants ultimately look fairly similar. So where do you go when you are sick of looking at Linux? Well, you've really only got one choice. And I think that's where it came to me that I wanted to try Windows. Now, the problem was I actually went ahead and installed Windows on that box. But remember those NVIDIA video cards that I mentioned a while ago? There is no mm. driver support in Windows 7 for those cards. That's right. So I can't use them. So then I thought, well, I'll install Windows XP because there is driver support for Windows XP. Problem is Windows XP gave me a whole raft of crap when I was trying to install it on this box, it would blue screen when it came up. I tried formatting the hard disk, wiping out the master boot record and all of that. It complained about viruses. It just crashed. It was, it was total disaster. So we came back around basically. And what, what happened is I wound up installing Linux mint again on it, but this time true Linux mint, uh, Linux mint 13 in this case, the one that's based on Ubuntu, not the one that's based on Debian. Uh, which is interesting in and of itself because I swore that I would never use Ubuntu ever again, but that's, uh, I guess a point for another time. So anyway, I'm running Linux again and everything's back up and I've got my machine back again and it's doing everything that it's supposed to do. But there was an interesting moment there when, you know, my choice of operating system was windows and it felt, I, I had a strong desire to run windows, uh, for about a day. So does using open source for a long amount of time, breed a certain malaise. Do you ever feel like, you know, you just like to try windows just cause just to see what, you know, tickles the hair on the back of your head or something. I don't know, but it see certainly did from... fix those problems for, for the reason why you switched to Linux. Well, exactly. But it's, it, it's not because, you know, that's the thing. It's not because I don't, because I think windows is better. Cause I don't, it was purely because windows is different is because I looked at Linux for so long now, I just wanted to change the pace. And the only change of pace available to me was windows. Um, you know, it turns out I couldn't actually use windows for, for the reasons that most people can't use windows if they try to, because it's crashy and buggy and doesn't run right. And I'm sure if I had actually gotten installed, my computer would have to be rebooted every other day and I would have had all the problems, but I really felt like I wanted to install it. Does that ever happen or is it just me? So do you, do you feel like dirty inside now and, and you're trying to fess up and come clean? No, I don't at all. I don't, I don't think <laughs> at all. Nope. I don't uh, have any, uh, any bad memories of that, that day last week whatsoever. That's good. Well, it's good. I mean, that just shows a, a certain 
openness of, of uh, esprit and, and curiosity. There's nothing wrong with exploring, and there's certainly, as far as I'm concerned, I mean, I use all three systems as well. There's certainly nothing wrong with wiring. I, I think it's really interesting that you mentioned uh, that the only thing different to you, because you've been using Linux for so long, was Windows, because I find that, uh, you know, especially when you look at, at Mint, um, they're very similar in terms of look and feel, so it's not even that different as far as I'm concerned, and I think that's one of the attractions for the newbie, is the fact that it's not such a learning curve. I, I find it curious, I'm going to throw a couple of questions in here there, um, I find it curious that you chose Mint 13 versus Mint 15, which is the latest release, perhaps you have your own reasons for that. Um, uh, and and why not just try you know different Linux distros because some of them are, are, are you know have a way different feel than others and uh, that's yeah I think those are my only two comments yeah those are the only two questions that I had anyhow um, back to you Russ no honestly see even I've tried all kinds of distributions and none of them feel particularly different to me I mean yes that some desktop environments are different like some use open box window manager some use LXDE some use gnome KDE da, da, da. but ultimately they all feel the same to me because I spend most of my time underneath the GUI so the the environment is is the is the same and you asked about why I chose mint 13 as opposed to 15 and it's because I could not get mint 15 to install there was some sort of driver incompatibility during the install process and no amount of tweaking kernel boot parameters and disabling the usual suspects like ACPI and turning on like Visa compatibility mode and stuff like that would actually get the installer to finish. So really? That's I interesting. To, yep. So I had to jump back to uh, Mint 13, which worked like a champ. So. Wow. Okay, I'll remember that if I ever have that problem. But I'm running 15 on, on uh, a machine that's a, an IBM T43 that's got to be about oh, 10 years old now, and, and I had no problems. But I guess it depends on specific hardwares. Yeah. So anyway, um, also just, isn't Mint 13 an LTS release? It is based on uh, 12.04 of Ubuntu. Yes, so it is an LTS. Oh, okay. Maybe that has something to do with it also. Uh, entirely possible. And I think a lot of the issues that I have may be because of my, uh, my video cards, just because they are so old. And even though there is proprietary Linux support, uh, via NVIDIA for those cards, the drivers don't work real well. Even now that my machine is back up again, uh, I'm using FX 5200s, by the way, which was a very popular chipset for NVIDIA, uh, a few years ago, but their support for that chipset has lagged. And I don't think Nouveau supports them very well. And the proprietary drivers, at least on my machine, leave a lot of um, video artifacts when I'm, like, moving stuff around. So, I mean, it's not something I can't deal with. And uh, hopefully I'm getting a new workstation here pretty soon so I don't have to deal with any of this anymore. It's, it was an interesting week last week, and I, I almost switched back to Windows. Well, at least you only did that for one day, and then you uh, you were cured and came back came back into the light, away from the dark side. Well, what's funny is even if I had managed to install Windows on that machine, the first thing I would have done was install VirtualBox and then put Linux on top of it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it it really wasn't that far afield. But you know, I had a moment there. I I distinctly felt disgusted with Linux and wanted to try something else. 
but if if you would have had that same you know moment and and you would have the latest and greatest machine in front of you and you'd put on whatever XP or 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 seven or eight or nine. Um, it, it probably wouldn't have been as bad if you're trying to go back to, you know, you've been running whatever Linux distribution you're running, which basically makes your machine more efficient when you're comparing it to uh, any Windows product. And then you go back to Windows, you, there's no way you could be happy as far as I'm concerned because, you know, w with everything that is just loaded natively, it just makes the machine slower. So you, you can't, you can go one way, you just can't go the other, it seems, and, and be happy. I haven't tried it, but it seems to me that that's uh, what would happen. Uh, maybe the universe was trying to tell me something, which is why I'm running Linux Mint again. I don't know, Harrison, have you ever had that uh, uh, that that glitch one moment when you wanted to just give up on Linux and go to, uh, whether it be uh, Mac OS or PC or Unix? PC or well, Windows or Unix, sorry? Well, um, I've, I've never had the desire to go to Mac OS because I it kind of scares me in terms of user interface. Um, it shouldn't, uh, though, because you're a techie kid, and it's not really that different. I, I tell I, a lot I of people... Need, I need two mouse buttons. I need need the comfort of having two buttons to rest my hand on instead of just one. One just feels weird to me. You can get mice with two buttons. Yeah, and Wouldn't actually... Lost. And actually, I, I, I have both a Mac here, um, a Mac Mini that I use, and I have a Macintosh at work. And in both cases, I connect to those Macs using Synergy, which means that I'm actually using my PC mouse on the Macs in, in every case. Even though I have a mouse and keyboard that goes with the Macs, I don't use them uh, because I connect to them ver ver uh, via the virtual KVM of Synergy. So if you want to use a two-button or three-button, in fact, mouse like I do, it works just fine. Oh, all right. Well... There's that, and also the fact that my budget does not support a Mac. Any well, that, yeah, that's yeah. always a, it's always a, a you, crusher. My budget, you can get my them cheap on the secondary market. The, well, I my budget supports the G3 from uh, eWaste, the old CRT all-in-one Max. But anyway, um, cheap on the used market, and even cheaper on the black market. <laughs> black market. I apples. wouldn't quite go that far. But <laughs> <laughs> that's good. But. Um, I occasionally I'll have the desire to try Windows, but then I remember that I'm going to have to deal with the drivers, I'm going to have to deal with this, I'm going to have to deal like what Russ was mentioning about blue screening and stuff like that. And the desire has never really been there. I've never had a application that, oh man, I would really like to run this application, um, but I can only do so in Windows, like the uh, N1MM logging program. I wanted to try that out, but it didn't wouldn't run in Wine, and it, uh, it would only run in Windows. So I decided, to, hey, I can find something else for the uh, Canada Day log logger, and I, I did find something else. But um, soon it will be CQR never, test. Yeah, and by the way, how does a CQR log or no, not YFK test work? I I got as far as entering the call sign, but past that I can't figure it out. But anyway, that's another subject. You can actually go back to the episode where I had the same issues with YFK test and uh, worked them out. Ah, okay. All right, I'll make note of that. Um, I thought I you actually listened never, to this show. Well, I do, but I occasionally forget <laughs> certain things, or I listen to them as I fall asleep, so that usually means I forget parts. That means you're not <laughs> listening. It We've become white noise to you. 
Yeah, you're just digging, digging the grave even deeper. <laughs> All right. Well, as I said, on another note, <laughs> or getting back to the original note, um, I occasionally I've wanted to go back to it, but I've never had a strong desire to actually go back to it. That, and I would have to mess up my bootloader, and I don't want to do that. As far as I'm concerned, any anything that works for you. Um, you know, and I say it all the time, whether it be PC, Mac, uh, Linux, Unix, whatever, DOS. You know, somebody was mentioning DOS a little while ago in the uh, uh, in the chat room. Uh, if it works for you, it works for you, and and nobody can judge you for that. If it does what you want it to do, then that's all you need. So you know, find what's comfortable for you, uh, and that's fine. And if you're a little adventurous and you want to move out of your comfort zone, then explore. Others, whatever the others may be, I mean, it, it can only the knowledge that you gain, whether the distribution is good or badger, and, and that's a matter of opinion, anyways. The experience you gain by playing with it uh, will only enrich you in the end. So, you know, explore. That, that's what I. Uh, that's what I always tell people. So, um, some have their drawbacks. Uh, I, I prefer some to others, of course. I'm, I'm of course, more fond of Linux uh, the more I learn of it, but I still have to use all three, and, and all three have some some positives, so uh, I really have nothing to say. Um, yeah, I, what you were mentioning about using the systems, I remember one time that I had used Linux so much and I hadn't used that when someone asked me to fix something that was uh, kind of in-depth in the system, but uh, it was a, you know, fairly in back in my mind and rethink everything that I had to do, like, okay, to do this, oh no, I don't have no control center, okay, now I need to, oh, control panel, and where, and it, it took me a while to relearn how to use Windows, surprisingly, and also on one other note, um, I've never ever had the desire to use Windows 8 personally, I've used it once or twice on someone else's computer, and that's as close as I want to get to it. Yeah, I'm, that's, that's even the the position of most Windows users <laughs> is they don't want to use Windows 8. So that's not terribly surprising. I've actually got a machine running on 8 and it's very stable and the problem with 8 is it's not necessarily intuitive. It's got to be configured properly depending on your hardware uh, to more so than some of the previous versions. So it makes it a little bit more um, complex for a newbie. But once you have it set up, it runs really, really great as far as I'm, you know, uh, daily use. And I, I use mine mostly for graphical uh, things, so it's configured for that. But um, I, I've had very few problems with it. Uh, I know that some people complain about, uh, you know, administrative accesses and stuff like that. You can get around that. It's, it's problematic when you don't know how to get around that and you want to do something and it doesn't work. It's very frustrating. And that's the part that I say is not intuitive. Once you know, it's like anything. Once you know it, it's easy. Until you know it, well, then it could be very uh, frustrating. Indeed. And we probably shouldn't waste any more time talking about this because Harrison wanted to tell us something about Linux Mint and CrunchBang. Uh, Linux Mint is something we talk about quite a bit, but CrunchBang is something we don't. So I'm interested to hear what he has to say about it. Well, this all goes to the quest to find an operating system that does not have a PAE kernel and also will work on the graphics card in my IBM T41. Um, I had Linux Mint uh, 12 running on the laptop here. Uh, with the matte uh, desktop environment, but it, uh, no, it's mate, sorry. 
after after rethink about uh, how to pronounce that word. Anyway, I had it that running, but it was running pathetically slow, and the hard drive was almost full, and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So I decided to try and upgrade to uh, Linux Mint 13. Now Linux Mint 13 installed, but the graphics didn't work. Xorg crashed upon startup. So all I was left with was a command line. Now, when I went out to uh, Portland, Oregon for the Stockholm Junior Water Prize, which is a whole other story, all I had to work with for the laptop was a command line-based laptop. So that took a bit of uh, getting used to. I, I know how to use the command line fairly well, so it wasn't a huge problem. Like, I know how to mount and unmount USB drives and uh, connect to the Internet using the command line, which is a little complicated. But anyway... So I decided, well, let's see if Linux Mint, uh, I think it was only 14 at the time, 15 was still coming out. I tried Linux Mint 14 on it, and when it started up, uh, it said uh, your processor does not, uh, the PAE uh, section to it, it wasn't designed into the processor at the time when it was built, and so uh, we can't run on this uh, system. So, okay. So I tried 15 to see if it was any different, and it had a PAE kernel. So I tried Zubuntu, and it had a PAE kernel. And I tried Linux Min XFCE, and it had a PAE kernel. And I went searching for any Mint or, or I guess, Ubuntu derivative, but not Ubuntu, like Zubuntu or stuff like that. And I couldn't find one without a PA or E kernel that was newer than Mint 13. So, uh, actually... Yesterday, I happened to. Cr I remembered from a long time ago using Crunchbang Linux, which is a very minimalist uh, Linux distribution in the terms of there's not much to the desktop, but it it is a fairly or a very powerful system, and also it kind of takes a little bit of getting getting used to. So I went to their website. And they have two different 32-bit varieties, one with a PAE kernel and one without a PAE kernel. So I knew exactly which one I needed. So I went for the PAE uh, kernel, and I downloaded it, and I had a hard time getting the laptop to boot off it. I guess the CD drive was not quite working. Uh, so when I burned the DV a DVD of it, it uh, wouldn't boot there. So I tried creating a USB stick on my brother's computer, which is a Linux Mint uh, 13 system, but it didn't uh, didn't want to create a, the USB stick properly. So finally today, I brought my external hard drive with me and a US the USB stick I was trying to use. I, I actually used the Linux Mint 13 from the command line. I mounted the hard drive, copied the ISO image off, and I I don't know how to unmount drive, so I know to type sudo halt and then restart without it plugged in, and then. I mounted, or I didn't mount the USB drive. Anyway, I did if is uh, Crunchbang Linux, and then whatever additional information was after that .iso, and then I typed of equals forward slash dev forward slash sdb, hit enter, waited what seemed like forever, and then uh, rebooted off the um, USB live stick. Took a little while to detect the disks in the installer, but uh, I'm now running Crunchbang Linux, and uh, I'll let you pause for any comments. Okay, so the only reason you chose Crunchbang was because it had the availability of a non-PAE kernel. You didn't choose it for any other reason, because I can't imagine it's the only distribution that, that is like that. 
Well, I chose it because I knew it was, um, like, uh, I didn't want to go with Debian because I, there's nothing necessarily bad about Debian, but I find that, like, I use Adobe Flash and other proprietary codecs, and I find that with uh, Debian, installing those is the biggest pain in the butt the world's ever seen because they're a, a very free and open source distribution, which is a good thing, but in my case, is not what I wanted. And I knew Crunchbang uh, had uh, those additional codecs, not necessarily pre-installed, but you could install them afterwards uh, through the little onboard, um, I guess, update and configuration script that they uh, included. And I also, because I used it a while back, I knew that it would be something that I like, considering it's kind of a minimalist desktop and... Uh, it won't necessarily get in my way. It's also fast, light, and doesn't really bog down my uh, older laptop too much. Uh, uh, one of the parts in this laptop, and I guess you could judge the age of it by this part, is from... So it's... it's uh, Well, next year it'll be 10 years old. So, um, And uh, I just wanted something fast, lightweight, and didn't have a PAE kernel and that I knew how to use and had proprietary codecs. Okay, so what do you think out of CrunchBang now that you've got it installed? And, and what's it based on, like, for a desktop environment and stuff? All right, uh, CrunchBang is based on op the OpenBox desktop environment. And um, when you first start it up and you go looking for a menu, I guarantee you, you won't find one or, like, a button anywhere for the menu. To get the menu to choose your applications and how to start stuff, uh, you have to right-click anywhere on the desktop. So if I right-click on the upper bars, which indicate uh, what applications are open uh, and on which workspace, like the, the taskbar actually indicates applications on both of the workspaces that it, it comes configure with, configured with by default. Uh, also, if you know the Alt-F2 trick, uh, you can use that for pretty much anything. And also, it, uh, something that I, I like personally is uh, the Conkey... Uh, uh, I guess I don't know how quite how to describe describe Conky, but it's it's basically whatever you want to put into a text box that sits on your desktop and tells you stuff. It has a neat list of all the uh, uh, keyboard commands right there in the list, and some of them are uh, unique to Crunchbang, and others are generic across all Linux distributions. Does it so, still uh, have um, uh, some of the function keys were listed right on the desktop natively when you installed it? to tell you how to get to, you know, for example, your, your mail client or the internet if you want to browse or if you wanted to get to your menus. Is, is that still listed right on the, uh, on the desktop there? That's in the Conkey uh, window. Um, and it also has your CPU usage, how much hard drive space you have uh, left, your memory usage, your uptime, and a few other nifty features. You can yeah. do a lot with Conkey if, uh, if you know the right scripts. Yeah, I've played around with Conky before, and the configuration language for it is a bit of a nightmare. But once you once you kind of get through it, it's not too bad. And there are a lot of people who have sort of built like Conky themes and uh, Conky plugins and stuff like that, so you can sort of download the Conky configs and make it look and do really cool things. I found some nice um, green ones, green-based themes that worked well with uh, Mint and, and the Mint desktop kind of thing. So they're out there. You just Google for them and you can find them. 
and also one thing I like about Crunch Bang is I don't have to try and force Conky into a transparent uh, pane on the desktop and not a separate window because every time I would try to set it up in either Ubuntu or Mint uh, it would show up in this window that you drag around and I didn't want that I wanted it on the desktop but I as you mentioned it's a nightmare and I didn't know how to uh, use the configuration language uh, so I never got that working outside of Crunchbang and the only reason I got it working inside of Crunchbang is because it was already working when I installed it yeah, there aren't too many uh, distributions that come with a, a desktop environment with Conky configured to run right out of the box. But I know because the sort of lightweight desktop of the CrunchBang environment sort of lends itself to having that information right there in the root window. Uh, they they did it that way, and it looks really nice, actually. Yeah, and also it uh, took advantage of a fair, the fairly high-resolution uh, screen, so I have enough space to stick just about everything like I have Skype over on one half my on the bottom and uh, Chromium open uh, up in the upper left hand corner with the etherpad in it and um, oh there was something else I wanted to mention oh yes all your major scripts for everything on the desktop and some I guess you could say some hidden things but that are nice to have uh, all those are directly accessible via the um, the uh, right click menu Right, let's see here. Um, settings, you can, uh, well, it, it has, uh, you can edit the settings of the compositor, Conkey, D menu, GM run, open box, terminator, and you, you, ha you have a lot of access to the configuration uh, window boxes and files of the main things that make up the uh, Crunchbang uh, user, the, I guess you could say the user experience in Crunchbang, just right from the menu directly. You don't have to go searching in uh, forward slash etc forward slash who knows what in whatever folder. <laughs> you want to try and find it that way. It's all right there on the desktop. All right, very nice. And uh, Crunchbang has been one of those distributions that lots of people have talked about and you know really like when they use it because it's small overall compared to most others. Uh, it is based on Debian, so... If you like Debian, you'll sort of have that feel to it. And, of course, it's uh, very fast, and it uses some uh, lightweight stuff for um, for the desktop environment as opposed to some of the heavier weight stuff like Gnome and KDE. So especially for older machines or laptops or netbooks, uh, CrunchBang is a great alternative. Uh, I guess you could say as much as KDE is complicated, Crunch very simplistic. Yeah, I've used it on a few machines, and, and I think it's a great, I think it's my favorite uh, small distribution. Uh, I, you said you were running it on a 41, on a T41, uh, Harrison. I run it on a, I've run it on a T43, and uh, it, it works just great. Um, uh, a little bit less plug-and-play than some, but it forces you to kind of get in there and, and get your hands dirty, as it were, and go a little bit further when it comes to certain configurations. But um, I, And I really love that, uh, you know, uh, the, the uptime counter, the, the I have not crashed for this many days, uh, years, and months. I think that's just such a cool, uh, just from a marketing standpoint alone, I think that's brilliant. But it's also kind of neat to see how long your machine's been up and running. So, uh, yeah, it's a great little uh, distribution, and I highly recommend it to uh, anyone who uh, who wants to uh, experiment. Well, I think we've got to move on. We've got another segment to do yet, and we've got some music that goes in between. 
This one is another selection from Pete, and I'm glad you sent this one to me because I didn't have a second piece of music to go to, so that worked out very well. If you want to go ahead and introduce this one, um, I, I listened to it before the show, and uh, it's quite a blues rocker, so it's, I like it quite a bit. It's pretty cool. Uh, it's by a band called The Crawls. Uh, the Crawls. They're from the Ukraine. It's from their second EP, uh, courtesy of Gemendo, or released this year in uh, 2013. Runs about uh, three minutes. Uh, the tune is called It Didn't Matter. And uh, when I sent it in, I actually hadn't listened to your selection, Russ, but I find that they both uh, fit very well together. So we are definitely in sync uh, when it comes to music. Uh, and I uh, kind of like this one, too. So I hope you guys enjoy it as well. There you have it. We'll listen to It Didn't Matter by The Crawls, and uh, we'll talk some feedback when we come back. was the crawls with it didn't matter some of that sounded very zeppelin-esque 
I was just going to yeah. say, it's a totally, totally reminiscent of When the Levy Breaks. A very old blues style, and yeah, absolutely. Good stuff, good stuff. A nice rocker to keep people awake for the sec- you know, third part of the show. And that means I've got to wake myself up and get back to the ether pad. <laughs> wake up! Yeah, I'm awake. Segment three. Yeah, segment three. Okay, well, the first thing we've got is, well, we had that contest... It's a while back now since we sort of took an impromptu break from podcasting while Pete was out of the country and in my country. Yes, thank you. And then that makes me feel very important if you wouldn't podcast when I wasn't around. So a uh, huge boost for my fat head. <laughs> well, I'm, that wasn't really it, but you go with that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I will. Thank you. Okay. Uh, we got some feedback from uh, Jonathan Netto, who was the winner. Jonathan, c'est Jonathan Adou, yeah. <laughs> français. All right. It's francophone. Right, right. Why, uh, why? So let me see if I can go ahead and bring that up because I've got like links to click on and stuff like that, which makes this kind of happen. So anyway, it was in response to his winning. Hey, Russ. I just heard the podcast uh, yesterday. That's awesome that I won. I'm really excited. Um, thanks for the show. And uh, I like Pete. I think he's a great addition. So uh, yeah, keep up the great work. Bye. Well, there you go, Pete, and a little bit of uh, praise for the new co-host. Yeah, thanks thanks to Jonathan for the nice words. That's uh, really awesome. I think that's very cool, which is what I was saying. And, and I was also saying that now everybody could harass you because we've made all of your private information public. Uh, I tried to skip through to not quite make it clear, but I don't think it's not going to go out on the, on the regular show, and I don't think anyone who's listening is going to, like, you know, send them a letter bomb or anything. So. And if you do make it french and really confuse them <laughs> a letter bomb in french what's letter bomb in french <laughs> in the lettre à la bombe i, I have no idea <laughs> i'm sure there's quite a uh, it doesn't translate i guess it's never happened in a french-speaking country yeah yeah no that's right it doesn't happen that's that's why it's like the saying you know how a goat can be called a ram and a donkey can be called an ass but how come a ram and the ass is a goose Tried to translate that one. <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, I'm not sure my brain's working that well tonight. <laughs> well, Harrison lives on a farm, so he's obviously got some insight that we're lacking. <laughs> yeah, we should probably leave that alone. Anyway, we do have some feedback from folks, and I guess we should go ahead and go through that before we get to our little social media roundup and then call it a show. Uh, yeah, that's cool because, you know, during the regular season, we don't have that much. And now that it's summertime, I was going to think it's even going to be quieter, but I guess it's quite the opposite. People have more time, and they're sending in some feedback. So keep it, keep it coming. We, uh, we definitely uh, like what you guys have to say. Very much so. And uh, the first thing we have is a comment on the website from Johnny K. I don't recall if there was a call sign attached to this. I don't think there was. Otherwise, I would have put it down. But anyway, he says, uh, Google, knock, knock. What is the difference between this Project Loon and Satellite Internet? Also, why not make them stationary? Yet another large company taking ideas that hams pioneer and using it for profit. Uh, and these are actually three separate comments, so I'm just going to roll them all into one. His second comment was, hey, guys, there's a wiki on Loon. And he gives the address for the Wikipedia article on Project Loon, which we'll put in the show notes. Won't you, Harrison? See, nobody's paying attention. Are you muted? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not this time, but okay. Anyway, Harrison's not listening. My uh, my laptop uh, 
locked up there. It is an older laptop, and sure. I couldn't get to the unmute button fast enough. Yes, they will be in the show notes. <laughs> All right, excellent. So obviously, Crunchbang doesn't fix everything. Um, not everything, but it's yeah. better than it, command line. It does not. It, Crunchbang will not make Harrison a better podcaster. It's a code eighteen, is <laughs> what we used to call it in tech language. A code eighteen is, you know, the problem is eighteen inches in front of the screen. <laughs> Uh, the the wetware short like the, like the problem with most computers is the loose nut between the chair and the keyboard yeah, yeah. The, we call that the carbon interface though where i work <laughs> all right we're so geeks yeah enough of that <laughs> all right and his final comment from uh johnny k is who is this nasty mouth adam curry i don't know him but i know you guys and i know ham nation and ham radio now which i listen to and watch every episode uh, he doesn't say if that means we're good or bad, but I assume that means we're good. <laughs> yeah, that's what I think. Well, Adam Curry is. Uh, well, do you want to? Uh, you probably know more about our friend Adam Adam Curry than. Uh, did you want to explain uh, who he is? Well, I? I thought I I thought I did a good job of explaining who he was when we were talking about him, and I don't really want to give him much more airtime. But anyway, uh, Adam Curry is known as the Pod Father. He was a f- <laughs> sorry just remembering our little joke there that night after the episode <laughs> he uh he was an MTV VJ one of the original ones and then he turned to uh what he calls new media and sort of started the genre of podcasting back in the day uh he's sort of credited with having created what it is we do now broadcasting to the internet so that's who Adam Curry is and um let's see do I I do I have a thing? I thought I made a uh, a soundbite of of that. You were playing it the the one episode where we uh, Adam Curry had listened to one of our episodes, of course, and and made some less than favorable comments, shall we say? Uh, but he runs uh, presently uh, a podcast called No Agenda, and and the whole idea behind No Agenda is just to be over the top and cause controversy. So I'm sure what he said, uh, whether he thinks it or not, uh, was more for effect than anything, because everything they do on that show, him and his co-host, uh, is basically to get a rile out of people. So, uh, you know, right. what, what, who's to say? And yes, I do have his soundbite. And his co-host, by the way, is John C. Dvorak. I guess we can mention that. But anyway, yes, he said this. So there's all these podcasts, Linux in the Ham Shack, uh, Ham Nation, Ham Radio Today. And let me tell you something. They all suck balls, every single one of them. It's horrible. So, And if, if anybody knows anything about sucking balls, Adam, we're sure you do. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, that will never get to his ears. Um, <laughs> it, it might, then we'll get another nasty comment. I actually, I've, I've actually listened to his podcast. I don't listen to every single one. So I think they do one or two a week, and they're like three hours long. But once a month, I'll download them. And they're actually somewhat entertaining from, from a tinfoil hat perspective. And, and I don't mind listening to a, one episode here and there because it's, it's always good to listen to the other side and, and different perspectives whether you agree with them or not so uh you know they've obviously got a great following and uh, i i have to admit that i'm you know i am enjoying what i do listen from them even though it's very you know you got to take it with a huge grain of salt uh very often so anyhow for entertainment purposes only right and his show is very long and the, and the thing that basically turns me off to uh to it or from it uh, whichever is the proper way to say it, whatever turns what what turns me off from it is the fact that for being called no agenda, it actually has a huge agenda. 
Oh, but that's part of the appeal. I mean, of course, that's it's done on purpose. Well, right. If they called it the Agenda Podcast, it wouldn't have the same impact. (laughs) That's true. Uh, They could call it the Steaming Pile of Badger Podcast, and then we could sue them. Yeah, that's right. Except I don't think we have a trademark on (laughs) you. Being open source, that would be wrong after all. That's true. Okay, well, I guess we can skip the bit about the Central Kentucky Ham Fest since it was last weekend. Uh, I know I was all excited to talk about it, and I added all these extra things in the uh, in the show notes, thinking this is great. It's up and coming, and I'm just such an idiot because uh, it was two days ago. So for those of you who went, I hope you had a good time. Yeah, I hope you did too. I'd like to get out to an event or two here soon, but I'm not sure when that's going to be. We'll see. Are you are you in Central Kentucky or Northern or Southern or Western or me? South Southeast. You're close to Kentucky, aren't you? Uh, no, not really. I'm actually much closer to Oklahoma than I am to Kentucky. Oh, are you? Okay. I got get my, my southern U.S. geography. Uh, I, I'm pretty good with the north. The south eludes me a little bit, I must admit. Well, actually, I'm not, uh, not even there. I'm in the middle. <laughs> well, it is central Kentucky. That's in the middle. Uh, no, Kentucky's actually between east. Between the peaks and the pine forests of north-central Arkansas. That's that's very true. He's, he's got that down pat. Is it all the same? No, it's not all, all the same. same. The south is all the same for me. It's all. Uh, you know. I'm not in the south. <laughs> <laughs> You're in the Midwest. That's right. Pete. <laughs> uh, this could go better. Anyway, uh, I guess that's it for the feedback that we have. Uh, we had the voicemail. We had the three comments from Johnny K. And now we need to do some social media roundup type stuff. And Woo-hoo! yeah, we do have a. Uh, Several new Twitter followers, actually, I believe. Um, this one that you had, Doom Troll, uh, is from a while back. There were several more, and I didn't bother to write down who they are. But I would like to say for all of our new Twitter followers, and for those who have signed up on the mailing list, and for those who uh, have otherwise joined the show to listen to our updates and, and various things that we put out via social media, thank you so much for being a part of the show that way. And also to those people who uh, come into the IRC now and again and, and talk to those who are alive and awake in there. It's nice to have interaction with folks uh, in between the shows. Uh, we also have a couple of people who liked the Linux in the Hamshack page over on Facebook. That would be Edward C. and Jason M. Or no, sorry, Jason F. Jason MF. <laughs> Jason Mother Badger. <laughs> You're making me work. Richard, <laughs> Richard used to do that, hey too. Hey, now. <laughs> sorry, sorry. I forgot we have uh, young ears uh, listening. <laughs> Apologies. You'll have to mute that. Please erase that from the record. <laughs> okay, I'll strike disregard. that. The jury shall disregard the past comment. Which means they will not disregard it in any way. That's right. So, yeah, there's Facebook. I don't see much from Google+, Plus, although I do believe uh, the community has been joined by several people, and there are uh, comments in there as well if you want to interact with us and the other listeners of the show. Uh, Google Plus community, Linux in the Hamshack, is one way you can do that. That's another one I have to join. There's just too many of them. It's actually, I'm, I'm surprised at the amount of uh, traffic on Twitter and on Facebook. Uh, they're, they're quite active, which is, which is good, good for the podcast. Yeah, it's all very good for the podcast. So we also had some new subscribers, several of them, actually. We had Jonas R., who was a subscriber but re-upped for another year. Well, thank you, Jonas. Uh, we have Doug J. Uh, we have Tom L., who didn't sign up for anything but did give us a fairly sizable donation. Um, it's 
kind of interesting because he could have become a subscriber for the same money and, um, you know, helped us out that way and got a little bit of, you know, for himself, but he chose not to. And I guess we can't berate people for what choices they make. So thank you for the donation. There's also Steve C who became a monthly subscriber and Mike K who signed up as a yearly subscriber. So thank you again to all of our subscribers new and old uh all of our donators sponsors uh people who just tell their friends and uh who like us on various social media sites we really really appreciate it yeah i think word of mouth is probably our biggest uh uh donation if you will and and i think that's uh a great homage to the podcast if you tell a friend about it uh, you know that that just says everything right there so I'm a personal, uh, personal fan of the uh, word, word of mouth. Yeah, absolutely. And we don't really do any other kind of advertising, so it's all about who tells what to who. Should I talk about it on the YARC Infonet? Well, you surely you should. You should talk about it wherever you possibly can. You mean you haven't yet? Yeah, exactly. Well, What's wrong with 40 you? 40 lashes with a <laughs> wet noodle for you, Harrison. I think I'll take the wet noodle. Well, wait. What, is it a cool <laughs> noodle or is it a pasta noodle? You got to define noodle there. Uh, that's uh, up to your little imagination, my friend. <laughs> All right, I'll take the pasta noodle for the macaroni and cheese box. Smart, smart boy. <laughs> All right, and to wrap up tonight, we're going to come back around full circle to Lobster Fest. Uh, if anybody remembers back that far, Pete said he had some feedback from uh, one of the folks that attended up there, and uh, he's going to deal with that now. And we're we're going to close after that. Yeah, indeed. Uh, Lobster Con, uh, although Lobster Fest would also be appropriate. It was uh, quite uh, festive and, and a great time. But uh, I uh, met uh, two great people out there. I met a whole bunch of great people. But uh, people that I chatted with uh, more were uh, Michael uh, Aiello, uh, November 2 Hotel Tango Tanko and 2HTT, and his son David, who uh, is uh, right now uh, N0CALL, uh, no call, HI. Uh, and is uh, working on getting his license and is planning on uh, taking his test sometime in the fall. So, uh, Michael and David, uh, we had uh, long talks. Uh, uh, we're uh, into uh, many aspects of ham radio that I also like. Uh, we're participants uh, at LobsterCon, like I mentioned. We're participants in the massive building effort. They each built the Tuna Tin 2, and uh, both uh, uh, were successful and got them on the air. So, uh, I told them, uh, as, as I did many other people, uh, about the podcast, and uh, they said they would listen, and you know a lot of people told me they would listen, and uh, people get busy, and that's okay. But uh, literally uh, a couple of days after the podcast, I got uh, this uh, uh, note from uh, Michael, uh, amongst other things that he mentioned. Uh, he wrote, "I listened uh, to one of your LHS podcasts and enjoyed it a lot. I've added it as a regular feed, and uh, as a result, I downloaded and installed Mint 15 as a dual boot on my old Windows machine, and I like it. It's been a while since I've had a Linux desktop and I was very impressed. Seems a lot slicker than Ubuntu. So uh, I think that's very cool. We uh, got some new listeners. Uh, we got some uh, people who had played with Linux who had kind of given it up uh, to try it again. Uh, so uh, it was great to uh, meet you guys, uh, Michael and David, of course, and I'm glad that you guys are listening to the podcast now. And uh, I'm also uh, keeping in touch with these guys uh, via email and uh, hopefully we'll be setting up a sked on uh, 80 or 40 meters soon. For those who don't know, a SCED is uh, just a scheduled contact uh, on uh, HF or VHF uh, via the radio waves. So uh, we'll be uh, keeping in touch. So uh, Michael uh, is an engineer 
And uh, David is a uh, filmmaker, artist, and uh, medical student. So uh, welcome to you both, and uh, I hope you guys uh, continue uh, to like the podcast. And also Lobster Fest is at Red Lobster, not necessarily a ham radio event, hi hi. <laughs> lobster Fest, perhaps, but not Lobster Con, because there's only one Lobster Con. That's right. I, I just gave an in a, or, uh, <clears throat> unintentional plug to uh, Red Lobster there. That's because I wasn't looking at what I was saying. Even though it says Lobster Con in the Etherpad, I said something else. That's okay. Lobster, the um, Red Lobster disappeared from the province of Quebec many years ago for reasons that are unknown to me, but Quebec being a distinct society in Harrison uh, will agree. Uh, there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of stuff that happens here that doesn't happen elsewhere and vice versa. So for the longest time, we had Red Lobsters and they just seemed to have disappeared. I guess they were replaced by Starbucks or something. <laughs> I'll blame the OQLF. Uh, yeah, the OQLF uh, is the Office de la Langue Française du Québec, the uh, Office of French Language in Quebec. So we call them uh, affectionately the Language Police because they go around and make sure that uh, the French language is prominently displayed uh, where it should be. And we won't get into a political discussion, but if you guys want to know more, uh, uh, write me an email and I'll, we'll have a long philosophical discussion about, uh, about Quebec's political situation. <laughs> but yeah let's not do that tonight <laughs> so anyway that's it for the show and uh i guess i'm going to start the outro music and uh pete can do his little wrap up like he usually does and we'll we'll call it a day how's that sound yeah that sounds cool it was a great uh, return, and I'm happy to be back. Uh, not planning any other absences uh, from uh, LHS podcast until the same time next year. So you guys are stuck with me for about uh, 48 weeks. So thanks to our uh, monthly and yearly subscribers, of course. Uh, thanks a lot to Harrison, V2HKW, for being uh, one of our guests tonight. It was great having you around and uh, hearing You're your welcome. thoughts. Uh, thanks to all of our listeners, uh, live, uh, quasi-live, uh, via podcast. Check out our website, uh, lhspodcast.info. Uh, you can reach us at info at lhspodcast.info. You can leave us a voicemail, 1-909-LHS-SHOW. That's 1-909-547-7469. Uh, subscribe to the mailing list. Uh, you could link, uh, sorry, the link is on the website, of course. Uh, you can go to Cafe Press and Print Fiction, buy some of our show uh, merchandise and help uh, out the show. Each purchase uh, helps us out a little bit. Listen live every other Tuesday, 8 p.m. Central. And, of course, our recording is available on our website as a podcast. So thanks, everyone. Uh, best 7-3, and we'll uh, talk to you all uh, next time. All right. I think that's about it. And thank you, Harrison, again for being a part of the show and uh, talking a little bit about Crunch Bang and... Good to see you back, Pete, from your travels through uh, the northeast of the United States. This is Russ, K5TUX. Uh, you pretty much know how to reach me, but I'm on all the social media networks. Uh, email us at info at lhspodcast.info and all of that good stuff. You've been listening to episode number 111 of Linux in the Hamshack. I'm broadcasting live from between the peaks in the pine forest of north central Arkansas. We'll be back in a couple weeks with more Linux and ham radio goodness. We'll see you all then. Mm -hmm.